Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Donardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. Um, which is something that I talked about on Jake Dunlap's podcast today and thought it was interesting to go deeper, which is that I think that we need to look at what's happening right now. And I think companies and people and everyone should look at what's happening right now as something that's accelerating change that was going to happen anyway. And so if you look at it that way, like the idea of remote work, like companies should have been looking at this five years ago. I think this is a really good opportunity for people. Like I've been working remotely for the past five years. I'm more productive. I'm more creative. All my best ideas happened at home. I just like recognize that for myself. And I think uh, people that are new to it may not see it that way. But over time, I think that you, you will. Um, so I think that's an opportunity. I think companies are starting to get forced to figure out digital content social, which they haven't paid attention to. A lot of companies haven't paid attention to the past five years. They've been living off trade shows and outbound. Um, I think companies that are over-reliant on outbound are going to get really, really smacked right now. Um, and so I think that just wanted to open and set the stage that I think it's an opportunity for, uh, for companies to figure out things that they were going to have to figure out anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, plus one to that. Uh, the way I think of this is a magnifying glass. You know, if you're even in terms of skill set and your performance and impact to the company, you know, we're seeing widespread layoffs right now. And who do you think is getting laid off first? Unfortunately, it's those with, um, you know, minor or, or relatively small impact to the bottom line of a business. Whereas the people who are making a huge impact will not get cut, at least not right away. And this, you know, this causes also a lot of companies to think about how to consolidate and strip down the non-essentials, not just on the personnel side, but the tech stack as well. And I think that's where a lot of software companies now are going to start feeling burned because if you're not an essential part of that stack and you ain't got stickiness and you know, you're something like a gamification tool or something like that, right? Like everyone's saying, Oh shit, what can we, where can we cut? Where can we cut? Where can we cut? So, um, you know, I think a lot of, of companies, not just salespeople, but, you know, marketers, the, the entire organization um, is put in a tough spot right now. And, you know, people are trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Being able, um, I figured this out uh, a while ago, which is that we, no matter what your role is, you need to be able to translate your impact to a tangible business outcome. And, and it may not be as obvious as you think for some people in some roles, right? Like, let's just pretend that you're a sales rep, like you have your quota and you, and you hit it or what, whatever, and you generate pipeline. But what about if you're training three people on the side or what if you're experimenting with this new idea that could change the entire business? And so there are a lot of other things that you can do to add value. I think that's one thing that people could take away right now is that um, I've found that the way that my career evolved and developed was because I did a bunch of things that were outside of my job description. Like I came into a job and I was supposed to do sales enablement and go to big meetings with sales reps to help them close the biggest deals they were working on at children's hospitals and all this different stuff. And then magically six months later, my, my career changed because I just started running demand gen for the company. They didn't ask me to do it. I just figured it out. Um, and so I think there's opportunities there if you're looking for them to either, if you want to kind of change direction in your career, like there's places where you probably can find the, find those opportunities right now companies need need people to step up and so uh yeah i think that's a uh, another interesting opportunity yeah right on brother i mean you know for if you know of anyone that has gotten laid off or you know impacted financially by this you know especially if you're young now is there's really no better time to get laid off and i, I know that's kind of a, a shitty way to look at it but you got to try to see the glass half uh full rather than half empty and i think you know now is also the time to skill up if you have extra time that you would have spent commuting, you know, if you had a long commute that now you don't have anymore, use that time to learn something. Um, so I, I think uh, the, the, there are many ways to spin this as a positive, but 
Um, it's not, it's not going to be easy for everyone and everyone gets impacted differently. So, um, you know, that's, that's just how it goes. Right on. So, so I vote we jump in. Um, the first question was submitted to me by email, so I'll get it started because uh, they couldn't attend, but I think it's a cool question. And then, uh, and then we'll start picking out people to ask their questions. So the first one is, how should you go about demand gen for a products whose customers aren't tech savvy? I work for a company that sells software solutions to orchard owners who are not tech aware. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, there, there's a, there's a million ways to skin a cat as they say. Uh, the, I don't know. The first thing that's really coming to mind for me is like what causes them to, to take action as, as buyers. Like it's, it's really the same formula as every other formula. You just tailor it to a different voice and different grade level of reading and content strategy and, and all that stuff. Right. So, um, you figure you do audience research, you figure out who they are, what motivates them, what problems they are, they have, you build content around that and you just make sure that, um, their view of the world aligns with the way that, you know, the, the company is marketing its brand and it's, its services and its products. I think, uh, you know, in a situation like that, where your, your buyers are real, just sort of, you know, plain Jane, they're not sophisticated, they don't get tech, um, you know, you dumb it down for them, you know, Trump style. I think there was, uh, you know, politics aside, there was a fascinating study on uh, his vocabulary versus Obama's versus Bernie Sanders. They ran it through the Flesh Kincaid um, readability uh, modeling score. And like, they found that like Trump's language was the most basic uh, he used the least amount of syllables in his words. Um, so he had the shortest uh, kinds of words being said. Um, and, you know, that aligned to his message, right? He went to, 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 you know, that audience, appeal to that audience with that kind of message using that tone, that voice, that brand voice essentially, right? And it, and it worked. So I, I think even, you know, you can parallel that right back to this kind of situation, Um it's all about aligning how, how you're marketing the world to, to how they view the world. Right on. So I look at this in, in two core buckets. Um, the first one is more general, which is you have to make sure you're selling something that someone needs. And so I think there's a lot of SaaS tools out there, especially early stage, you know, 1 million ARR venture funded companies that have jammed in enough revenue to raise money and the market actually doesn't need what, what they're offering. So that's the first step is like, make sure that's, that's a marketing and product thing is make sure that the, the, uh, that the market needs what you're selling. Um, and let's just pretend that you're, you're beyond that hopefully. And from there, I know for a fact that those people are keeping in touch with their grandkids on Facebook. There are certain demos that we crush on Facebook. I can give you a couple, uh, ER nurses, CNC machinists, Basically, anyone in the in the forty to sixty plus demographic is our highest converting on Facebook ads. You can get to these people in certain different ways. Like CNC machinist is super clear; that's their job title. Um, orchard owner might not be so clear, but there's probably other ways based on interest or page likes or other things that you could get to them with. Um, so that would be my my first recommendation: is if they are on the internet and they're not looking for what you do, then you need to go out and get them. And the best way that I've found to do that is through social media cold targeting. Yeah, no, I love, I love that example. Uh, to, to your point on verticalization, uh, Facebook's great for that. Uh, same, same with our business. Uh, for, for those who don't know, I, I lead demand generation at Nextiva. It's a cloud communications company based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, we sell business VoIP, uh, phone service software. Um, we also have a CRM and some other tools that, um, you can basically consolidate your entire tech stack under one platform if you chose to go that route. Um, but essentially, uh, you know, we try to verticalize as well with some of our marketing and we see that financial services and accountants are like awesome for, for targeting on Facebook. They're just bored <laughs> after work. I guess they really love, uh, Facebook, uh, especially that, that 40 to 60 range. And that's, that's right in our sweet spot with some of the verticalization mm -hmm. tactics that we, we apply. So yeah, you got to know your channels. Right on. Cool. So, uh, so first question we're going to give Andy, I'm sorry if I don't pronounce this right. Keen, you can correct me cause, uh, you can come on video and ask your question. It's a good one. No, it's relevant to what we're talking about. Did I get it? Done. Cool. 
Yeah, it's usually Kian that I hear, so nicely done. <laughs> so what's your question? So our our company, you kind of hit on the head. We've unfortunately laid off a lot of outbound people, and we're going to really focus heavily on the inbound side. And, and being on the demand gen side there, I'd love to know how you guys would go about, um, for a company that's never done it, what channel you would start in with, with paid social, and ultimately what kind of budget would you recommend from like a, a minimum budget on a monthly perspective going forward um, as I go to my boss and ultimately my CEO and say, hey, here's, if we're going to drive, you know, inbound traffic, let's focus on our ICP in this channel, this kind of budget is kind of like a starting point. If that makes Who's your ICP? So we are uh, an online marketplace. Essentially, we connect uh, B2B service providers with companies that are searching for for talent ultimately. So marketing directors, marketing managers, um, CEOs and owners, occasionally business de business development managers, uh, firm and graphic, typically one to 50 employees. So we're, we're dealing with smaller companies, typically less than 5 million ARR. So um, that's kind of where our ICP fits. And so I'm trying to propose ultimately what's the best way to drive more of that net new traffic uh, from an inbound perspective through um, and increase those conversion rates but uh, I'd love to hear what you'd say from a budget perspective and a channel. I'd imagine, I think you like Facebook the best, but I'd love to hear what both you guys think, you know, in terms of where you'd start. Go for it, G. Thank you. Oh man, this is a great, 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 great question. Um, I'm so glad you asked this. <clears throat> I mean, my mind is going, <laughs> it's running a million miles an hour right now. I, I'm, I'm just trying to contain my excitement. Um, all right. So, so here's the deal, Andy. Um, <clears throat> it depends on a couple of things. It depends on uh, speed, like how fast, like, do you want to start getting this traffic coming in and what is like the goal? So, so different channels have different um, intents, right? So if your goal is like bottom of the funnel, we need traffic that's going to convert fast. Like we need to ramp this up quick and get this going. Forget about paid social. You need to get into the PPC game. You need to go right to Google <laughs> ads, you know, uh, depending on how old your audience is, you may have to do some Bing. Uh, uh, I'll be the first to admit Bing is essentially a non-factor these days, but you got to get right to Google ads and you got to start doing PPC on your most highest intent terms. You need to be searching Google for um, roundups, and roundup articles that are talking about, you know, best marketplaces to find, you know, X, whatever it is that you're offering, get featured on all those lists. You need to be all over that. You need to be answering every forum question in Quora and wherever there's, uh, you know, relevant conversations happening. You need to answer all those and link back to your site from them. You need to be guest posting all over the place. You need to be building awareness there, right? So these, these are a mix of, you know, paid and free ways. Um, to get this flywheel going. And then, um, you know, uh, I would start thinking about SEO as well and think about long tail keyword traffic that is highly relevant to um, the problems that your, your buyers are, are facing. And the reason why I'm going to go against uh, paid social, at least going too hard on it, and Chris may disagree on this, that's fine. But marketers now are like too savvy, like they're too smart. Like you're never going to get someone like me to click on, you know, a display ad, fill out a form. Like I'm just not going to do that, right? But I'm somebody that would use your service. If I need a developer, you know, to do like an 80-hour project on short notice, and that's probably something that you offer that's relevant to me, um, you know, I'm going to go through the traditional demand gen, you know, methods. Oh, I know I have a problem. I don't know what the solutions are out there or, or what providers are out there. Um, let me start searching around. That's why, and I need to do, get this project done fast. You said most of your, um, most of your buyers are SMB. That means the, the, the sales cycles are probably short, high velocity. They got to make a decision fast. They need somebody on short notice, right? Um, so I'm going to Google, you know, I'm going to Google and that's where I'm going to say, you know what, this landing page, um, through this search has the things that are, you know, aligned with my, my problem right now. Let me give this a shot. And that's, you know, that's how I do it. So I hope that, I hope that's a good way to kick this off. Chris, I'm yeah, dying to hear super, your thoughts, but I can keep going. Answer, man. Way to redirect. I'd love to hear as well, Chris, on your end, like what kind of budget? Cause ultimately this is, this is new territory for our company. We've been fortunate that we've got a strong inbound presence. But we've never spent a dime on PPC, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, like you've just never done it. So it's, mm -hmm. 
But yeah, no, that was a great answer. Thank you. Yeah, that, that was a great answer. The way that I, uh, I mean, my company does demand gen for uh, about 15 SaaS companies. I, I started the company about 12 months called Refine Labs. And so the, our process is basically the first thing is make sure that you can measure everything. So make sure you have attribution and CRM and everything all the way to revenue is number one. Um, the next thing that I do is what I call fix the bottom. So CRO on your highest converting page, if it's get a demo or it's an inbound phone call or whatever form or anything or chat. Uh, make sure that you have good CRO on that page or whatever. And then Google AdWords on highest intent keywords. And then from there, start moving up. And so if you want to stay specifically in the social area, what I would do is target people and try and get them in with, with content. Uh, and the content would be, I, I really like the idea of webinars right now. I think that people can connect with those. Um, and so the, if, we, if you were going to stay in paid social, then I'd recommend uh, Facebook or LinkedIn targeting, test both, and run for a, a lead gen ad where the form's actually native inside of the inside of the ad. Conversion rates are five to ten x higher that way, and bring people in and get a good guest uh, from a, if it's a marketer, get a marketer, whatever you need. Uh, how to hire talent uh, on short notice, or how to get this project done, or, or you know, you you know your audience better than me. And then I'd run a couple thousand bucks on each of those different channels and see if you can get people in that way. Um, if you're looking for sales, I agree with, uh, with Katano. I don't believe that bottom of the funnel paid social is a good move. I think it's a waste of money. You're going to get leads. None of them are actually going to close. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, from, a, from a budgeting perspective, the way that I always approach it is, you, especially on paid social, you don't need to spend that much money to know whether or not it's going to work. I know within $500 whether my campaign is going to work or not. And then after that, I scale. And as you scale spend, you just watch a couple different metrics and you can understand when results are going to degrade. The, result, the metrics that I look at are frequency. So the amount of times that the ad has been presented on average to your audience, when that metric hits two, if you don't swap the creative or swap the headline, the results are going to drop pretty dramatically right off a cliff. And it'll happen again at six. Six, it gets really bad. The next metric is just cost per result. So if you want to, if you want traffic, landing page views, any of those, if you start to see that number get up, either you have to expand your audience, swap the creative, or go find a new campaign. No, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. You got really it, man. Good answers. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to you on that. It's not an easy nut to crack. <laughs> unless, you know, somebody's somebody's got to do it. By the okay. way, shout out to uh, my boy uh, Joshua Giardino. He's, he's on this, uh, he's on this webcast and, uh, for, for everybody that doesn't know, I'll, I'll tell you now, uh, he, he's the first person, um, that, that believed in me as a marketer back in like 2012 when I sucked. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he taught me a lot about SEO growth marketing content strategy, um, paid strategies. Um, and, uh, he's a dear friend of mine still to this day my, my personal mentor. So thank you, Josh, for all you've done for me and for joining the, the webcast. It's great to have you on, buddy. Right on. It's good to see you. Cool. So, uh, next question is Danielle Smith. I'm going to ask your question. Yes. Uh, so I just wanted to know because a lot of the lingo is the same. I actually just took a six week, um, grow class, uh, focused on like growth marketing and, and sort of those principles in your guys' minds, there's a lot of overlap in the lingo and the intent. Is there a difference? What is the difference? If so, what is it? Can we be classified the same? Like what is your thought or is it all just sort of like interwoven? So, G, the question is, is there a difference between growth and demand gen? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I was trying to connect the dots there. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I think uh, I'll get this started. I mean, you yeah. um, know, if you look at it as growth marketing versus mm -hmm. demand gen, I think they're synonymous. It's, it's, okay. I think they're come together. But a lot of companies now are calling a position called growth, and that focuses on um, free trial conversion to revenue. So more of like a growth role that's product led. So mm -hmm. how do you get people from all the way at the beginning to sign up and then through the product to a paid user? Yeah. Um, I've seen that title pop up a little bit, but in terms of growth marketing versus demand gen, I think they're synonymous. Okay. 
yeah, I'll offer a slightly different perspective, but it, at the end of the day, it's all the same shit. But you know, <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, it's all the same shit. But you know, here's how like I think of it, and and Joshua, who I just shouted out, really kind of helped me uh, with with this frame of thinking. So, if you if you think of like like these five like components of like a buying cycle or a customer journey, you have the acquisition, the onboarding. Once they convert, you have uh, the retention, once you get them as a customer, they have to re- maintain a customer. Then you have termination, which yeah. actually you have to prevent from happening. And then you have advocacy. So those five things. Um, and if you think about demand gen, they demand gen really like for most people, the way they think about it, it's only the acquisition, <laughs> you know, and then growth can be like all those things. It can be post, you know, um, you know, sale. Mm. Right. And, and unfortunately, demand gen gets pinned into this like acquisition, 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 you know, uh, leads, 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 leads. But, you know, the, everything that happens after that um, is not typically considered demand gen. I, I hope to maybe change that somehow, uh, you know, even yeah. at, my, at my own company now, I advocate for, you know, uh, letting demand gen apply their tactical knowledge to those other areas. Because the reality is like your customer onboarding team, they don't have the same tactical ability as the demand gen marketers. They just don't have the same mindset. They're not from the same school of thought. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of collaboration opportunity there that I don't think happens enough, unfortunately. But if I have to say what is growth versus demand gen, growth is like all those areas because any of those areas can can contribute to revenue. But mm-hmm. typically demand is kind of, you know, stuck in that that first part of the of the journey yeah and just as like a a sort of secondary thing of that is that it's it's sort of hard to apply some of these principles and that's why i'm glad a lot of people are asking about b2b stuff where the sales cycles are very long very complex multiple buyers there's like multiple people you have to win over this kind of thing but when you have a very complex service that is also like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh that's where it's just like and it's customized right so you're building custom software and custom digital products for like legacy companies right so like my God, with the things that you have to do to build the credibility, build the trust, build the relationship with multiple people across the company. And then by the time you get there, it's like, so what are the demand gen or growth types of tactics in these kinds of realms that you can use where it's just, it's so long every, like you can't basically systematize or productize anything that you do because it's very sort of uh, individual to each, each sort of client that you're dealing with. I mean, we have case studies and stuff, but some of the tactics for this kind of selling environment um, is just like, holy crap. It's, mm. it's tough. We kind of we talked about this last week, um, yeah. so I won't, I won't go too deep into it, but, but my feeling on, um, on those, those t- anything long sale yeah. um, from a demand gen perspective is heavy thought leadership. Okay. Um, and, so, and, and then you bring people to you and they know what they want. You don't have, you don't have to help them figure that out. Um, and I think a lot of companies trip up in, in this area because they try and produce thought leadership content and they have nobody at their company that's a, really a thought leader um, yeah. and they don't really really have a position. And so the way that you can change that is you just interview people that are thought leaders or interview people that are like the people that you're trying to sell to. Um, but that, that as a follow up, that's kind of where I would spend my time if I were you. Okay. That's validating because we're doing that. So that makes me feel good. <laughs> right on. Good. Cool. Right Next, thank you. Next one is from JJ Jeffries. Uh, JJ, I'm not sure if you've asked multiple questions, but this one is about the, uh, the layoffs. Uh, what about the layoffs in particular? Just was, the general feelings on it? Or? Yeah, I was just going to see um, if, if he's here. Yeah. Okay. He's here. Great. So oh, there he is. What's up, JJ? Cool. Oh, yeah. So I was, I guess more just a comment. I think especially with our earlier topic of layoffs, I guess my question is, would, if a company is struggling, like I get some businesses, so that's, I'm gonna seem like such an asshole here, but <laughs> to me, we're not even a quarter into this from you know shelter in place, and I get that things need to change and shift and pivot, but it's kind of, to me, I'm looking at it and I'm like, what is your pipeline? What were you doing from a business? I don't think you should already have to be laying off. And I, I mean, I live in San Francisco. There's a ton of companies that have already just decimated their marketing teams. And it's like, well, why? How, mm-hmm. who, who's in charge? Like, what, what were you doing um, 
to this. So I guess more just to expand on your thoughts, what are you guys seeing as far as layoffs? I get like companies like Trip Actions and things of that nature, um, where that is their revenue model that obviously they would need to make some layoffs. But for some of these others, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of baffled by it. You want to take that one? I got some. Um, some yeah, ideas. I mean, I, 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 I can, I can go, go here. Um, and then Chris, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, you know, on, on one hand, you have a lot of anxiety and that anxiety is stemming from uncertainty of the future. So, um, what, what typically happens, um, in that scenario is companies are, um, they're looking at their rate of growth. Like they're looking at revenue and like, you know, acquisition flow, but they're also looking at like churn and cancellations, right? So, so there's, there's a lot of companies that are offering cloud services right now. And the demand for those cloud services, I'm, I can tell you, cause I work for a company that is in cloud communication. The demand is extremely high. I think G2 released some data that said audio conferencing is up like 800% in terms of demand and, and um, basically research happening in, in that category on G2. So while that's there, um, what you also don't know is like, what is the majority profile or what is the, what is the makeup of a company's customer base? And if the majority of those customers are SMB, well, you know, they're in a lot of trouble. And um, if cancellations are, are, you know, request, cancellation requests are coming in like crazy, um, companies have to figure out, okay, if we don't, if we can't figure out how to, you know, prevent these cancellations from happening, putting, you know, bill pushes and stuff and, you know, extenuating circumstances, policies in place and stuff, doing anything you can to try to retain those customers um, and, and you can't figure that out, then undoubtedly layoffs will happen. Um, even if uh, growth and demand is still high, because they're worried that it won't last, that the, the rate of cancellations will eventually offset the rate of growth and it'll be disproportionately in, in favor of, of cancellation and companies will start going negative month over month. And so they're kind of preparing for the worst to happen. And then therefore, unfortunately, what's happening is they're evaluating, you know, what are the non-essential roles? What is the, where, where is the dead weight? Where is the excess fat? I think we talked about this early in the call, but not just on the personnel side, but on the, on the stack side as well, the tech stack side. Um, and they're keeping not just top performers, but top performers who directly um, are, their performance is connected back to, to real measurable results. So if you've been one of those people that aren't carrying a number, um, it's hard to track your progress at work. You hide in the shadows. No one really knows what, you know, what you're bringing to the table. Uh, I, I would worry about that. And if you're, uh, if you're in a job role where, um, you know, you're very junior, you're also at risk because those are, you know, those are the easiest people to cut because they, they don't have much skin in the game. So, um, you know, with all that being said, I think the main takeaway is if you were already doing your part and you were already, you know, carrying, you know, your weight, um, you, you should be good. If not, and you're worried, then now's the time to start, you know, putting those contingency plans in place, getting with your manager, getting more visible, um, thinking about your, your next step of career growth in case the worst does happen, skill up, you know, uh, get educational about your shit and, you know, best of luck to you. That, that's, that's really where I'm at with it. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, I have a, uh, I just said, um, a, that's a that super valid point and just a different perspective here, which is that um, in, in this time, a lot of companies that are laying people off don't make money, they burn money. And so therefore this is called burn management and it's usually pushed on by venture capitalists that invest money because they don't know what the growth trajectory is. So they need to slow down their burn, therefore extending their runway so that they can either raise more money at the appropriate valuation next time or not run out of money if they're not going to be able to raise money. And so that's usually, um, that's probably what's happening in a lot of companies in San Francisco right now. What happens is people, venture capitalists pour in money they hire and they, sometimes they act irresponsibly in their hiring, um, planning for best case scenario. It never works out. Best never is a wrong way to put it, but it rarely works out best case. And um, I've seen companies plan, put together something in a spreadsheet that's like, if everything turns out like this, we'll be able to raise 10 more million dollars next year. And then you get there and they're not even close to the plan and they can't raise the money and they close their doors. So um, 
there, there's a second piece, which is like, it may not have to do with your performance. It might have to do that the company was mismanaged. Um, cool. So uh, jump into uh, to Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, what's up, man? Sorry I missed you today. Um, but yeah, I would love to, uh, love to hear your question. Yeah, hey, guys, appreciate the time and what you guys are doing here. Just a quick question. You know, I think you've kind of talked a lot about what I think is inbound, right? Focusing on a few opportunities, maybe hitting them hard, content, maybe some channels such as LinkedIn. I, I get that. But in terms of if you were setting up an organizational capability, how would you look at it from a people perspective? Do you get some thoughts on how you would do that from an organization? I'd love to hear some of your expertise on that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chris, you want to go for it? Jump uh, in here, and I'll, I'll add on to you. For sure, I've uh, I've done this at uh, at two companies where I led them, the demand gen team, um, and then help companies do it themselves now. And so I kind of have a a model that I think is effective, which is you need four core people uh, on the team. Uh, the first one is what I like to call the architect, the director of demand gen, whatever you want to call them that's able to see everything from a multi-channel perspective, understand which levers to pull, understand how to allocate budget, understand what the overall strategy is, is able to really understand customers. So that's, that's number one. The next person is the creative. You need someone that can create videos, um, do make designs. If you're doing LinkedIn billboard ads or anything like that, um, that's the second one. Um, the third one is what I call the distributor. So someone that, that can figure out how to run paid um, or, or organic, like someone that can really distribute content on LinkedIn, like that would work too. So the distributor, how are you going to get the pictures or words or videos or whatever they are to the people that you're trying to reach? Email, PPC, social, direct mail, whatever you want to do. Um, and the last one, if I can, uh, I was really on a roll here. Um, the last one is the subject matter expert is the person that understands the audience so deeply and can speak to them like a peer. And so if you're selling to orchard farmers, I think it'd be a really good idea to have someone on your team that really knows orchard farming. Either that has been an orchard farmer or just has gone and visited enough orchard farmers to know what, you know, what they care about. And I hear people say this, like you got to understand your audience, you got to understand where they spend their time. You got to understand this, but like, I've done it a couple times and when you actually do it, you understand so much more. Like in, if there's one thing to take away from like how to do demand gen well, it's go and spend an hour with 50 of your top customers and prospects, both of them, because you're going to hear different stories from the people that use your product versus the ones that don't. Um, and once you have that like real sense, you're going to know what content needs to be created. And then you create the content you collect the feedback, whether it's community management or anything like that, and then it just creates an, a nice stream. So the architect, the creative, the distributor, and the subject matter expert is my my answer. All right, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, that was a great answer, by the way, Chris. I mean, I, I was thinking about my startup time at, at a company. Well, if you guys don't know, a company uh, called Sales Hacker, it's a, a B2B education company focusing on sales and marketing, but mostly sales. Um, I, I led marketing there and it was just me and one other marketer with a bunch of virtual assistants. And we were really good at making ourselves seem a lot bigger than we were just because of how, how massive our social presence were. And we, we had a strategy of getting all the influencers involved and doing the distribution for us. So we, we found a little, you know, loophole there with that. But if you really need to get lean, you just need two people who really know their stuff and get really good at distribution and you can win. Cool, cool, cool. Um, next question, Varun. Hope I pronounced that okay. We can see you. What's up, man? Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the question was about doing social media for your B2B brand. I used yeah, to work at a, yeah, I used to work at a B2B SaaS cloud telephony company, and we used to do a lot of social media, but uh, what I saw was spending money on social media never really got us many leads, but we use social media for a lot of retargeting purposes to get them on the website. 
sure how spending money on social media would help my company and you know help us that's what i want to know right on g you go first in this one yeah man so um I, I, you know, the way I think about this is also kind of the way I think about a blog, right? Um, and it, it all depends on what kind of content you're, you're producing and promoting. And um, it also depends on the channel as well, the audience. But, you know, my, I, I, when I used to lead SEO at Pipedrive, my boss came to me once and said, hey, man, why doesn't the blog produce any leads? Why, why don't we get any leads from the blog? <laughs> and I was like, well, have you ever yourself read a blog post and then bought anything? Have you ever done that? And he was like, well, hmm, when you put it that way, no, I haven't. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. Right. So, so that's also kind of the thing with, with social, um, you know, there's not a huge amount of people out there that are going to, um, you know, fill out a demo request form on cold paid social. Um, it's just, you're just not going to see that. It's not the right channel for that. Um, what you, what you will see though, is let's say it's a relevant piece of content that looks juicy enough to grab their attention. Um, and it's cold and it's, and it makes sense and it's good and the creative's good and the copy's good. And, you know, it's got all the elements of a well-optimized ad and, uh, it, it makes sense. Then yeah, I'll probably do that. And then I might buy from you later. So what, then what you have to do is figure out how to connect the dots from, when I made that first point of touch with your company to, and then what happens all in the middle until, until, until I'm ready to buy, what happens? You got to figure, you got to figure that part out. Um, and that's where I'll pause and, and pass it to Chris. I know I see Chris getting all, you know, juiced up over here. <laughs> so I'll pause there and let Chris kind of take it over. Cause I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I mean, I, I go in and audit, large, fast growing companies. And I watch them waste millions of dollars a year on paid LinkedIn and Facebook ads. I just, it's, it's very easy when you look at what they're trying to do and then that's set up, they run direct response. So like direct response, you're going to be able to see it. You're going to see it in the CRM. You're going to see it close to revenue and it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So yes, uh, a lot of companies do waste money on social media ads, usually because they have the wrong strategy or the wrong approach, or they just kind of treat it as a throwaway. Um, and so the, uh, the, the direction that I want to go with this is that in, since the internet started, basically everyone has been trying to measure every channel like they measure Google. Google's very easy. Someone types in, I want a SaaS tool for video conferencing. And then you show the ad. It's very, it's a very easy channel. Um, social is not that simple. And so you need to break up your channels based on whether it's intent based or whether it's awareness based social media is 99% of the time an awareness channel. And therefore you need to change the metrics that you measure it on. And so the metrics that I measure social on are usually that one that I have a well-defined audience. And then after that I'm measuring on cost per click and then how much they're consuming the content. So if I'm putting a video in front of them, and, there, and a certain amount of people are watching 100%, then I'm going to measure it off of 100% views. And so let's just pretend I'm getting every 100% view of my one-minute video about my product for 33 cents. Then you have to make a choice about whether or not that's 33 cents well spent. Um, another way is that I'm going to link them to a blog, and the blog's going to be at this new feature release with an integration, and I'm targeting people that use the product that we just integrated with. And so at that point, I'm going to pay 33 cents for the link click. And I'm going to watch in Google analytics, the average time on page, and I'm going to figure out, are they actually reading it? Some content sucks. So you have the wrong audience and you're going to see a bunch of bounces with less than five, uh, five seconds time on page. If you just look at it in Facebook ads manager, it's going to look like the campaign's doing really good. You have to connect the dots and make sure they're actually consuming the content. And so that's how I measure the success of socialists. Do I have the right audience and are they consuming the content at a price that I'm willing to pay? And then from there, you need, uh, because I've done this at enough companies, I have the confidence to know that when five days later, a bunch of demo requests come through on direct traffic and organic search, that I know that's where it came from. And so you have to be spending in the, in the $5,000 plus a month range in order to see that effect. Um, but that's how, that's how I've always measured it. So I look at the, I measure the effectiveness of a channel 
based on the goals for that channel, not the final outcome, which then leads me to the final outcome. So in that channel, I want awareness. I want awareness with these certain types of people. If I can score the channel on that, same thing, like let's just look at YouTube pre-roll for instance. A lot of people that measure YouTube pre-roll ads, if you don't know what it is, like I go in in Google and I search, I want a you know, cloud phone system and then I don't click on anything. And then the next time I go to YouTube, I see an air call ad or something. Uh, or I see a next Steve ad, let's go with that. Let's go that direction instead. Then a lot of people are gonna measure the success of that based on what's the cost per click and how many conversions did I get. But I just went to YouTube to watch a soccer video, not to buy your product. And so the, the way to measure that is, are people watching the entire video I put in front of them? Am I able to get my message across for someone that's already looking at it? I know that was a pretty, um, a pretty complex answer, but that's, I, I think the, the take home is, um, understand what the psychograph is of your buyers on each channel and then try and accomplish that objective. And so if people aren't looking for you, then you can't expect them to convert straight away. And if they do, and I know cause I've done this enough, they might convert, but odds are, especially if you're in like a B2B sale where you're going to pass it off to a sales rep, most of them aren't going to make it to a demo and almost none of them are going to buy anything. Thanks guys. You got it, man. Okay. We got a good one. Well, um, so it's, it's from, it's posted by Christian. I think it's Altuve, but I might've pronounced that wrong, but it says at Andy. Um, so there's a question about how much he's willing to spend for one client. And I think this is a great question. Um, Christian, any, uh, any context you want to add to that? Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's like a, a good question just to work backwards from. Um, like a lot of the times I, I am in conversation with people and I'm, I'm asking these companies, how much are you spending in ads? They throw out a number like 2000 per month on Google. And then I'm like, and then I ask some deeper questions to understand their cost per acquisition, their lifetime value. And they're like, why they ask me, why are you asking this? Um, and that's when I discovered that these ad, some ad agents, some ad agencies don't break down these numbers for them. And so understanding how much are you willing to spend for a client is more of like a gut feeling than it is like a right answer. So if you get a profit of 2000 from a client, um, understanding that the more you spend, the more viewers you get from the competition. But I think it's just like a gut feeling to start and then kind of build backwards from there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I can certainly answer this one from a, from a SAS perspective. I'm sure Katana, you'll have some interesting insight this as well, but I like run analysis of this exact thing for companies, um, which is basically like in a SAS model, typically a growth stage company, is looking to pay back their entire commercial expense to acquire a customer in 12 months. And so if your ACV is 35K, then you're willing to spend up to 35K on marketing headcount, ads, SDRs, account managers, account executives, all the tech, all that stuff, 35K per customer acquired is the, is the benchmark to know that you're doing something okay. Um, and then when we look at it deeper, like six months is super good um, for the companies that we work with. Typically the things that I'll see is somewhere from a, if you break it into like, just look at marketing CAC. So if you just say marketing headcount and media spend, my target for companies is six months. I typically see somewhere between six and 12, which means that their overall CAC is higher than 12. Um, and so that's, I like to break it down into, into a logical discussion with a benchmark. And so those are the two benchmarks I use, but it's for software recurring revenue. Um, not necessarily for companies to sell a one-time hardware product um, because then they have gross margins and a lot of other stuff to go into it. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an easier, well, it's, it's easy both ways, but that's the way I look at it for SaaS. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Giardino has a lot of great insight uh, to this. I see in the comments, a bunch of great stuff in the chat. Maybe Joshua, you want to jump on and, and drop a couple of uh, knowledge bombs on this one too. Guest appearance. Guest appearance. My audio coming through okay? Yeah. Okay. 
I was just trying to relate anecdotally that something I've experienced often with the exact problem you're outlining. And I think Chris, you nailed it, which is you have to educate everyone on the need to measure and evaluate the tactic based on its goal and the decision journey. So like awareness level demand gen is not going to necessarily move the needle heavily on its direct revenue contribution, but it does gradually move the needle. And so being able to define those touch points and show how they contribute to revenue as part of the greater journey is probably the key to solving that problem, showing that it plays a role in the greater strategy, even if it's not individually moving the needle. So focusing on attribution in its across the journey. So your ads at so the social level don't directly generate a lot of leads, but how many other steps in the journey did that push them down? So for example, are you pushing them to something that can now turn them into a contact and then nurture them into a lead or a prospect who eventually becomes a deal? And you can show what percentage of your budget for those ads eventually became closed revenue. It helps take away some of that uh, pushback you get. Like in Gaetano's case of, did you ever actually buy anything from the blog? No, but I might have subscribed to a newsletter and eventually took a free trial and became a customer. And that journey can be mapped and measured. Yeah, great. Great answer. Yeah. I mean that the, the blog example <clears throat> reminds me also of like the kind of content you're producing. Uh, so for example, like, you know, if you are selling cloud phone systems and you're doing a blog article on how much should a cloud phone system cost if I am a um, mid-sized business with 200 employees or 250 employees, right? Uh, what should I expect to spend on a, a cloud phone system? Uh, that's a really purchase driven long tail query. So even though it's coming from the blog, someone's a step or two away from buying something, right? If they're thinking about cost, you know, and it's a high sales velocity, more of a transactional sales process, you better believe they're going to buy, right? Even though it's blog, even though it's long tail. Um, and um, yeah, I guess that's basically the point uh, to kind of just close out on what Josh was saying. Um, it depends on the tactic, but also, you know, uh, there's a lot of context within those tactics that you have to consider. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'll leave it off. One other note for, uh, for anyone that's running PPC, I've sparked a thought. I've started to implement this in a lot of campaigns and basically just save a ton of money and be able to move that somewhere else like social is that I've started to only use uh, keyword modifiers that really indicate buyer intent. So if I'm selling a financial planning software, I'm not going to bid on financial planning or finance, how do I plan financially from a PPC perspective? I'm going to bid on corporate financial business planning software. So there's corporate and there's software in it or corporate financial planning software vendor or corporate financial business software price. So price, vendor, system, um, those are the types of modifiers that I've started to implement. It can save you, especially if you're spending a lot of money on AdWords, will save you a ton of money and you'll get the same amount of bottom of the funnel conversions. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point because also those modifiers help you get to st statistical significance faster. If you're running tests, if you're trying to validate some new messaging, um, it's going to be too slow to do that through other channels. So I, I think a lot of the, the key themes here, Chris, are um, kind of just understanding of channel, like knowing your channels, knowing what, the, what works for within each channel, aligning tactics and strategies back to channel and implementation rather than just saying, here's a huge, you know, laundry list of tactics that we need to go execute. Boom, go. Mm -hmm. Cool. Jordan, you got two questions. I think, uh, you, you tried to ask me them in DM. I'm sorry. I didn't get to them. Um, but would be more than happy to answer them right now. Yeah, I thought that uh, my internet's off, so I got booted out. I thought maybe the question just left. And um, You're here. Interesting enough, you kind of answered one of them. So just sort of moving to um, – actually, let me pull up the question one sec. Okay, so on LinkedIn, I'd asked you a question, and you answered with uh, basically all that's really needed to execute a solid content marketing strategy is it'll be sweet. An understanding of your audience, most importantly, 
basic video gear, and then a core understanding of social platform dynamics. So uh, my question is, can you point me two questions? The first is, can you point me in the direction of any content that speaks to that or books that I can read about that? So I'll tell you how, how I learned about this. It's very, very, very interesting. So um, back in like 2013, I was, uh, was importing products from China, private labeling them, creating a brand and selling them on Facebook and Instagram and Shopify and Amazon made, you know, got the thing to over hundred K, but the, the core piece is how much I learned when I was 23 in a B2C thing that I then took and started implementing in a B2B, which is why my model is so unique. And so what I would do if I were you is pick out something basic, buy a thousand units of it or, or even like a content thing. It doesn't have to be a product and then try and build an audience on, on Instagram or, or LinkedIn right now. The learning by doing is better than reading a book is, is the way that the way that I see it. And so, the things that I learned were like, uh, at least on Instagram and all the platforms, the context is different, the features are different, but all the dynamics are the same. And so if you're posting content, it's basically supply and demand. How much content is there? How many people are looking at it, which determines whether you get 5,000 views or 50,000 views, okay? And so one of the things that I learned, which is the takeaway if anyone wants to get more, more, more of an audience on LinkedIn is every day, since, I don't know, 10 months ago, I started by connecting with 100 people a day on LinkedIn. And now most people come inbound and connect with me or follow me, so I don't have to do it as much, but some of you might notice, like, if you like my post and we weren't connected, like, I go in there pretty quick and make a connection request. The reason that I do that, one, is that I'd like to get to know you more and I think that you'd benefit from the content and I'd like to see your content. But the, the core is that the more people you're connected with, the more people that see your content, the more people that have an opportunity to like your content, the more people that like your content then amplify it to the people that they're connected with, which then starts the process of new people being able to see it. And so, um, so on social platform dynamics, I guess, um, I haven't found any good literature on, on how to like the dynamics of it. I think the best way to learn is just by going in there hand to hand combat, commenting, engaging, liking, and learning yourself. Got it. And then the last question, I mean, are you able to explain on a high level sort of what a long-term strategy might look like using, um, you know, the tools that you talked about? So the, um, social platform dynamics, like what does that look like? Can you give me an example of, the, of that? What do you mean? I, I, you cut out there, I just didn't hear. So like, can you give me the architect's viewpoint of what that looks like using those tools mm -hmm. in order to um, execute a, con a, a legitimate content marketing strategy? Yeah, for sure. So um, the first step in any content strategy is who are you trying to communicate with? So define who you're communicating with. And then the next step is understand them to a level where you can communicate with them. And then the third thing is understand where there's an opening where you can add value. And so you got to figure out all those three things. And some people can create videos and learn on the fly. Um, there's a lot of different ways to go about that. Um, and then the next step, if it's a LinkedIn strategy, like if you look back at my first videos, it was on like a recorded zoom with one other person that got three likes, like you got to start somewhere. And then eventually like, 10 people like my Zooms and then one person, you know, signed up for my service and then I bought a DSLR and I'm on a DSLR and a mic. And so like, I think you build from it. The key is to start because you learn so much while you're doing it. Um, you get feedback, you get an audience, you get questions in the comments, the questions in the comments then drive your next 10 pieces of content. You can ask questions, you can comment on other, one of the key, a good one for everyone here is, if you, if you follow me for enough time, you'll notice that some of my posts are just comments that have done really well that I've moved to a post and elaborated on them. So one of them recently, like I, I commented on someone else's post. I try and do it 10 times a day, comment on posts, mainly because I get feedback if people like my comment. And then I know if I get a hundred likes on a comment that there's enough resonance that I should go and make a post about that. So I 
had someone's post, I commented something like, uh, all I know is sales is way easier when you do marketing well. And then I got a hundred likes in that comment. And then that, that one line becomes the start of my next post. Hmm. So some, some, I, I don't know if I answered your question directly, but that's some ideas to get started. Appreciate it. You got it, man. Do you want to pick a question? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. You know, in fact, I can't see any of the questions because I am a participant. So you'll have to keep picking them, got, <laughs> but I'm good with that. You got downgraded, huh? Yeah. Uh, we can just go open format. So anyone has a question, just kind of jump on. That'd be awesome. Yeah, go for it. Um, I'll jump in. I just, uh, I think there was early in the conversation, there was just a thought I was hoping I could close with the understanding how much you're willing to spend for a client. Is that all right if I complete that thought? Yeah, go for it. Cool. Cause, um, I think Andy was talking about the budget question and then George, um, or Joshua brought up the whole point about the journey. And so working backwards, understanding how your cost per acquisition, and just understanding with a step before that, like it, let's say you do product demos to get to a sales conversation. So CPA 1000, um, before that it's a sales conversation. Let's say you convert two out of 10. That's the percentage. That's 200 bucks. That's how much per sales call you want to get before sales calls a product demo. Let's say you convert one in 10, 10% of 200. And then you just kind of go all the way depending on, the journey of your funnel. And I think that's, that's how I would approach breaking it down until you get to Facebook cost per click or Google pay per click, et cetera. For sure. Matthew, I saw you had a question, man. Why don't you jump in? I think we might've just uh, missed it. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, how you doing? First off, Chris, first time, long time. So good to, yeah, man. Good to meet good you. To see you. Uh, yeah, I had a question about, I got to find the question quick side cause I had it worded the way that I wanted to, uh, but it was basically executing a demand gen strategy when you sell a lot of products and they have different or competing value propositions sometimes. So, uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a little unique in the sense that I sell hard goods in the industrial space through distribution. So that's a, that's a pain in the ass to measure and the metrics are really messy, but some of the hard goods and it's welding in particular so some of the products are like made for a technician and they're very ergonomic and comfortable others are made for like um, automation and they're very roi driven and very like uptime productivity efficiency so how do you and the way i've done my content strategy is i try to go to like the most common denominator which is um i guess costs and and it's not necessarily even cost but just like um the the value that you get out of it so like consumables are really the thing that's the residual revenue that drives that model. So I'm wondering how you create a demand gen strategy around, you know, products that sometimes compete with each other for um, attention, but ultimately in, in a lot of ways have the same and have the same sort of thing you're trying to, to drive home. Sorry. I'm like fumbling over that question. You got it, man. How much does a capital good cost? Um, depends. Just so, around um, just a order of magnitude. Oh man, it could be anywhere. Let's just let's just put a nice round um, five thousand dollar number to, to start with. But it it go all the way up to like you know two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, sure. it's a wide berth. So um, so I work with a company that sells physical goods uh, in the industrial space. Uh, it costs six thousand dollars to eight thousand dollars each. So I think I can can speak on this one. It, not so much on the competing value props. I actually don't feel like that's that's your issue. Um, and so what I would do is I would I would pick a product, and the first thing that I would do is is if you have a tangible business outcome like cost savings or risk aversion or revenue generation, I would try and create a couple case studies of people that have used your product and seen that result. And I would run it on Facebook ads because welding people and those people in industrial, I know for fact that you will crush on Facebook if the content's good because the targeting is very clear. And I would run a case study with the headline that says, um, XYZ industrial company saves $500,000 with blah, blah, blah product. 
And I would run that to people that do welding or if it saves them 99% of the time or whatever the metric is, make sure there's a quantitative metric in there. I would, I would run that and people will find you if the, if the value prop resonates. I've run that model a lot in industrial hardware. It works pretty well. Okay. You just gave me, I actually just did a similar tactic to that. And you, and I, I definitely fumbled the headline based on the feedback you just gave me. I didn't include that quantifiable result because I, I did almost exactly that. I, I, I put like the, the container space on that landing page that eight to one consumable life value, 90% welder buy-in, all the things that would matter. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely didn't neglect that in the headline. So mm-hmm. solid feedback. Appreciate that. Yeah. One, one that everyone will benefit from on, on case studies. One, I think case studies are incredible, especially if you're starting, just starting in social. Um, the reason being is that it can be used at any piece of the funnel. Your customers might think it's cool that a different company used your product and got a certain result that they haven't discovered yet. Um, and people that have never heard of you that are interested in your industry or do that job would also find it interesting and everything in between. So I like starting with case studies because it can be used so widely across the funnel. It can also be used for sales enablement content and for outreach and a lot of other reasons. Um, the thing that people miss on is a couple things. Um, one is that I've found that in order for it to make the impact that I'm talking about, there must be a quantifiable business metric that matters to the people that you're trying to reach. And so typically that's either revenue or uh, revenue generation or efficiency, cost savings, other things like that. Um, the next thing is that if you're positioning it in a social feed, which I think cold targeting social is a great place for a case study, um, is that you're in a news feed and you should position it like news. And so I, I run Facebook ads, blah, 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 company saves this much money. It almost doesn't even look like it's an ad. It looks more like a piece of content that's in the feed for them, which is why the click-through rates are so good. The next thing in, in social is that you got to be able to have it be able to be read in three minutes. And so the reason being is that if you are going to distribute it through social, people are on their phone, they're on the train, they're walking between meetings, they're not going to sit there and read your 10-page PDF. So figure out how to compress it to the, the key message that you're trying to get across, tell the story quickly, and make sure that it can be read quickly. Um, those are, it's the thing I've run the most with companies that I work at. Over time, the, if your audience is small, it's going, they're going to get numb to it. So you have like maybe three to five times a year that you can run a case study. Um, but that, uh, that's one that I would highly recommend that's actionable that you could go out, you could call your customer, one of your customers that's having the most success and evangelize your product, interview them, and then write up a four to six page story about the success that they're having, and then post it to a page on your website and run ads on it tomorrow. So some ideas for people. And if you people have follow-ups on that, happy to answer it. I think that's a super actionable takeaway. Awesome. Chris, uh, where it looks like we, we hit the hour mark. We, maybe we'll do a couple more and wrap up. What do you say? Yeah, you got it, man. We, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're close to an hour. Uh, I love that we, same thing last week. We had 30 yeah. people that were just hanging in, um, you know, trying to stay away from the isolation, trying to get some connection. I, I could go and do this all night. So yeah, you pick a couple okay. other questions from people and then let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm just going to look through the chat here and see if anybody was talking about anything that we can pick out. Um, well, maybe you'll have to pick out questions, Chris, if there are any in the uh, questions. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Will. Appreciate the love, man. Mm-hmm. Helen, thank you. Appreciate that as well. Not. I think we might be out of questions. Yeah, I guess if if that's it. Maybe we can close the day with uh, what I posted about um, today on LinkedIn, which is, um, and Chris, you know, I'm big on this. I know you're big on this and this is a great one to close out, but you know, given the the global pandemic that we're facing, right. um, What I think this is really a wake up call to companies, marketers, salespeople alike is, it's more important now than ever before to drop the corporate speak, to drop the corporate tone, the robotic sort of, um, you know, typical stuff that you, you would see. Um, and, uh, you know, tragically, I'm still getting emails from companies that, um, you know, don't reflect any sort of change in the environment that we're operating in. I, I'm still seeing, you know, download my, this, 
you know, uh, white paper that will help you um, achieve digital transformation. I, I'm still getting, you know, invites to, you know, why you need an omni-channel, you know, uh, platform for omni-channel marketing platform to achieve blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, even, even the, the tone of your website, the copy that you use, the, 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 the language that you, that, that you position your, your brand with um, in this environment is crucial. And the companies that are getting it right um, are, are the companies who are taking action fast and adapting to, to have empathy in their tone of voice and the way that they, um, you know, portray themselves and the, the language that they use with customers and, and prospects. And the ones who are losing are the ones who are too slow to make changes. The ones who can't make changes on the fly because they're, they're paralyzed by internal, you know, processes and, and um, territorialism over, you know, this is what the voice is. This is the brand. This is this, this is that, you know, part of my language, but fuck all that right now. You know, now is the time to uh, really just be, be real, be human and just drop all the rules. This is not a time to be the brand police. Um, you know, you, you still need to be aligned back to your, to your brand in some way. Um, but, um, you know, if you're, if you're still kind of parading on the usual business as usual tone, um, I think you're going to lose. And with that, I'll pause and allow for some commentary from you, Chris, and then maybe some others, and then we can close it out. Yeah, right on. I'll, uh, I'm happy to end on that.